The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening, everyone. How's the volume? It's good? Great. So, welcome to IMC. How many people are in this class series for the first time tonight? Okay, welcome. This is class three of four and a form of meditation known as loving-kindness meditation, or metta. And we are going to start with a short guided meditation just to get everyone in the room and let the late arrivals come. And then I'll talk a little bit more about what this practice is and what we're going to cover tonight. So start by closing your eyes and settling into a comfortable posture. In metta, it's helpful to put the emphasis a little bit more on comfort than alertness. So if you find you need to move during this class, during a meditation, just shift to make yourself comfortable rather than observing the sensations of discomfort. And um, move towards what feels pleasant in the meditation. Acknowledging everything, but moving towards what feels good. So let your body settle in. Notice your legs or hips or butt on the ground or the chair or the cushion. The sounds in the room. And scan through your body and see if there's anything you can do to help yourself be more comfortable. Anything that can soften or relax. And then take a moment to check your internal posture. See if you can hold an internal posture of gentleness, kindness. It can be helpful when first starting to meditate to take two or three slow, deep breaths into your belly and exhale long and slow and complete. If you want to invoke your body's natural relaxation response, you can do that with pursed lips. And then hug your belly back towards your backbone at the end of the exhale. And just allow the air to come in on the inhale. And exhale any anxieties or thoughts of your day. And then 
after a couple or three of those breaths, just release all tension in your belly and allow the air to flow in and out naturally. Noticing where the breath feels good in your body right now. Then allow your attention to collect around the center of your chest, your heart center. Some people find it helpful to put a hand on the heart. Calling to mind a person or a being who makes your heart smile. Or perhaps someone who has benefited you in some way. imagine their face or maybe just a sense of feeling their presence right now as if they were sitting next to you or across from you. Just for a moment without a lot of internal discussion recall or internally list some of the things that you appreciate about them or that you're grateful for. Some of their beautiful qualities. Then letting that list of the beautiful qualities of this person go, this benefactor or dear one. See if you can focus in on a moment, perhaps, when they offered kindness, acceptance, attention, care, or support. as if you're in that moment right now. And then choosing whatever words or phrases might work for you. Offer out goodwill to them on the out breath. And receive whatever feelings arise in your heart and body on the in-breath. You can use a single word or a short phrase. Here are some of the classic ones. May you be happy. May you be well. 
may you be safe from inner and outer harm. May you be at ease. Repeating these phrases or any words that work for you. Some people find shorter is better. Happy. Healthy. Safe. At ease. Noticing any feelings that arise. There's no wrong way to feel. Savoring any delicious feelings that arise if they do. Refreshing your image or sense of this person. See if you can do a little bit of a turnaround. And imagine seeing yourself through their eyes. With whatever sense of safety presence, kindness, benevolence that may be there. Letting go of the image of this person or the sense of them Keep that kind attention on the person in your seat. And start with some words or phrases again, allowing the rhythm of either the breath or the words to carry you. May I be happy. May I be well. May I be safe.
May I know ease and joy. Letting go of these phrases for a moment. Pause to reflect. In what way are you your own benefactor? Can you be your own best friend? See if it's possible to consciously consider your own beautiful qualities. in the last moment of this meditation. Take a moment to appreciate the generosity of cultivating an open heart. It's a generous act to yourself and to everyone your life touches. Good evening again, everybody. Um, For new arrivals, my name is Dawn Neal. This is class three of four of Introduction to Loving Kindness, or Metta. I just want to know if there's anyone here that is new to meditation for the first time. Okay, no brand new folks. Great. So... I'd like to start off just to invite any questions that may have arisen either from that meditation or from meditations that you've done in the past week. 
Does anybody have questions or comments they'd like to bring into the room to share with the rest of us? Up here, okay. And please say your name first so we get to know each other. Okay, uh, Alfonso. Hi, Alfonso. I was doing a, a walking meditation this morning, mm-hmm. and um, I found it really helpful uh, as a way of practicing metta, as also um, giving something to the person, like an image. Uh, I, for me, it was roses. I don't know why. I like it. Beautiful. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. Thank you. You actually hit on something that's in the ancient commentaries. Um, often, if we're having a lot of difficulty, especially as the context that they talk about it, um, you either imagine giving the person a gift or you actually give them a gift. And it has this shift. It's kind of odd. Like, often they use it as an antidote to resentment, though that may well have not been the case for you. And um, often gifting is used as an antidote to resentment which, try it out sometimes. It actually works. <laughs> I've tried it. and uh, So thank you for bringing that in. It's great. Anybody else? Okay. Yes. Hi, um, I'm Hadass, and um, I'm pretty new to loving-kindness meditation, but um, I find that a lot of the time my my benefactor changes um, and it's kind of hard for me to stick to one person and I'm wondering if, if that's okay or if there's a way to concentrate on one person. So, um, I didn't catch your name. What? Hadas. Hadas. So, the classic instruction is to stick with one person. However, um, in my own experience, what I've found is it does often naturally change during one meditation. And as long as the intention is there and the concentration and the feeling is there, don't worry so much about the specific person. One of the beautiful things about this practice is we can often come up with multiple benefactors or friends or dear ones, and then you're tasked with the lovely problem of having to decide who. Um, Another thing that people sometimes do is um, they just invite more than one in. So they can be standing together and you just aim it at both of them or three of them as the case may be. So um, feel free to experiment and see what feels right for you. Thank you. And Kate, could you please turn the thermostat up a degree or two? I think it's cool enough. Yes. It was very warm when we started, and now it's gone into overdrive. So, um, Yes, please. Hi, I'm Diana. When I'm doing metta and I'm sending loving kindness to those that I love, starting with myself and my children and significant others in my life, it's wonderful. And then as I try loving kindness to those that uh, I feel have hurt me or betrayed me, um, sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. Mm. Yeah. That's the edge of this practice for a lot of us. 
So, um, are you looking for ideas? Okay. So, some. I, I guess mm-hmm. I, I want to. Is it. Is when I'm practicing loving kindness to those that I feel um, have harmed me, is it authentic when I'm not able to? Was it really real when I was doing it? The cultivation is real whether or not you feel anything. So my understanding of loving-kindness practice is that its most fundamental level, it's an intention practice. And it's the intention that shifts the mind and the heart over time. So um, certain parts of this practice are aspirational. For example, loving-kindness for all beings is quite a difficult task for anyone short of a saint. But the aspiration and the intention to develop that nonetheless will start to change the mind and the heart and even behaviors um, gradually over time. You may not feel anything right away. So that's something to keep in mind. I'm actually going to talk a fair amount more about the difficult person later in this evening. So the only other thing I'll offer you for now is that for many of us, if we've actually been harmed... Loving-kindness might not be the right place to start with that person. Forgiveness practice can be really helpful. And some people will do forgiveness practice for a year before they try loving-kindness again on that person. So I actually put the, the forgiveness phrases at the bottom of the handout. The handout for this week is purple. So if you want to experiment with that instead of loving-kindness for a very difficult person, that certainly can work. The other option that I recommend, especially for people who are beginners in this practice, is pick someone who's a little bit difficult, not someone who's really, really hard. You don't go to the gym and start with a 200-pound barbell right away. You know, you start with 10 pounds, maybe go up to 15. And um, it can be helpful to start with someone who's annoying or irritating rather than someone who's done gross harm in the past. So that's something else to consider, is to be a little bit easy with yourself. It's tough stuff. Okay. Okay. We have one back here. Two back there. Okay. Um, the back row, and then Sylvie up in front. Um, I'm Benita. Hi, Benita. Hi. Um, so I wanted to know, um, you know, I've done uh, this practice before, and my, and kind of the way I was taught, my, my understanding was that you start with yourself, you move to a neutral person, um, I mean a benefactor, you move to a neutral person, you move to somebody who's having difficulty, somebody you've had difficulty with, um, a gr- neutral group, and all beings. And that's kind of the, the, the sort of the sequence that you go through. So what I've done, and I'm not sure if this is, I mean, I'm, what I've done is focused for a period of time on each of those as mm-hmm. I go through. And then if I still have time left, I go back and start over again. But is that kind of how you see a, you know, a potential practice mm-hmm. going? So it really depends on the person as to what works. Um, my teacher, Saido Indica, taught benefactor or dear one first because he had discovered so many Westerners have issues with loving themselves that it actually wasn't that helpful to start with the self. So that's also the way I teach it. I start out and I practice on my own with someone who's easy, um, just to allow a little bit of warmth and a little bit of openness to cultivate. 
and then move on to myself. If you really enjoy loving kindness for self, please feel free to start there. It's kind of up to each person and their own psychology and their own relationship to the practice. My um, instruction in the categories was a little bit different than yours. Um, It's self, benefactor, dear one, neutral person, difficult person, and all beings. I must have missed dear one, that's right. So there's a variation in the same um, instruction that allows for a difficult person and a hostile person. The distinction there is the difficult person is someone you have difficulty with. The hostile person is someone who's being mean to you. You may or not not have difficulty with them, but they don't like you. Um, I've rarely met a teacher who teaches both of those categories, but it is out there. Well, I guess I'd say one thing about starting with yourself is that if you have time left, then you can come back to yourself again, so you get yourself twice, and that's kind of nice. (laughs) And you don't have to use all categories in every sit, especially in daily life. Many of us don't have time to spend very much time. So often um, what works for folks is to pick two categories that work well for them. I recommend including the self, and then one other one. So... Um, It just depends on what your own emphasis is. Like, I might spend a week on myself and the neutral person, and then I'll move to myself and the difficult person, or the difficult person and the dear person. So um, my own philosophy as a teacher is that your creativity and your efficacy count, and you'll know what works for you and move in that direction. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that's helpful. Just actually right in front of you. Thank you. Um, yes, so um, I, just to um, give my, my experience on, on what um, he just said, I found without trying to that I spend a lot of time on myself, like, mm-hmm. and I realize I need it. So mm-hmm. I'm spending a lot of time and then take someone else and go back to myself every time, actually, mm-hmm. um, alternating. Um, but what I wanted to comment is I've, I've done the practice pretty steadily in the past couple weeks, and um, I noticed that um, my emotions, I don't know if it's emotions but or feelings, but I've been feeling a lot more joy and pain with higher intensity. Yes. Uh, is it something that happens? Yes, it is. Um, I have that experience with this practice as well, which is one of the reasons it's really helpful to balance this practice with mindfulness meditation, is to notice that that's happening. And as you do, if you can bring an attitude of gentleness to the fact that you have more range, that actually cultivates equanimity as well. So more of a strength and resilience that underlies it. I don't know the, all the reasons for it, um, but I'm sure that we could come up with some hypotheses, and there's probably psychologists in the room who could come up with good hypotheses, but it is a known phenomenon, and you're not doing anything wrong. Um, but, um, thank you for all of your comments, questions, insights. So, um, last week we covered. Um, the 
dear person and ourselves. And that was the meditation that we just did before the Q&A. And I wanted to just do a quick recap of that and add a couple of thoughts in. Um, The first one is that intention in this practice, loving kindness in this practice, is different than romantic love. It doesn't mean romantic love can't be there. If you're with a partner, it's perfectly appropriate to wish loving kindness to them. That can actually really strengthen some relationships. But um, in Buddhism, they make a distinction between love that has a lot of desire in it and love that wishes the best for another. And the second one can be practiced with a lot more people generally, right? So um, just to notice for yourself if as you're cultivating loving kindness, feelings of attraction grow, be aware that that's not necessarily wrong, but it's not loving kindness per se, it's desire. They're called, in the commentaries, they're actually called near enemies. Uh, I don't know if I would say enemy necessarily, but they're not the same thing. Um, The far enemy is hatred or ill will. And it is also not uncommon for that to come up as we cultivate loving kindness. This practice, by focusing in on emotional tone, tends to open up, as Sylvie pointed out, all emotional tone, not just the good stuff. And in the commentaries, The Path of Purification, this practice is called a purification practice, which means it's purifying any of the gunk that comes up. You get to see it, experience it, be gentle with it, and maybe not take it quite as seriously. Um, The other thing, I guess, that I've found useful, particularly in cultivating loving kindness for the dear person or friends, is to be very mindful of boundaries. And... By that I mean many things, but mostly make sure that I'm not giving to get something. It's very common in our culture to do this. But with this practice, it's much more beneficial to our own hearts and minds if we can offer this loving kindness with absolutely no expectation that anything happens in return. It's a gift without strings. So to notice if you start to get an expectation for whoever you're aiming this loving kindness at that they are different or should be different. And that's fine too. If that expectation is there, as long as you see it (laughs) and it's not driving you around by the nose, right? So um, those are my thoughts from last week. This week, we're... um, going to touch on the neutral person and the difficult person. And that is because I wanted to save next week for a more broad form of loving kindness, the most ancient form, which is radiating it out in all directions. And we're going to play with that next week. So the thing that loving kindness for the neutral and the difficult people has in common 
is that it's a great way to notice changes in your own perceptions and contrasts in your own attitude. The feeling of benevolence or goodwill is quite different than some of the other feelings towards people we don't know or people we don't like, right? In this sense, loving-kindness can be an experiment. We get a chance to notice what enlivens our hearts and what shuts the heart down. So... um, I have a quote, actually. This is from Gil Fronstel's manuscript of a book. It's not actually yet published, called Boundless. It's a book on metta. He says, The Buddha did not teach altruism, nor did he teach a self-centered spiritual path. He did not see the spiritual life as involving a sharp dualism between self and other. A path does not entail a trade-off between either benefiting oneself or benefiting others. Rather, the Buddha assumed the opposite. As long as no one is harmed, benefiting oneself benefits others, and benefiting others benefits oneself. Part of the marvel of loving-kindness is that in the act of loving others, the person who is loving actually benefits. Taking time and effort to have kindness for others is actually a form of kindness for oneself. And perhaps some of you have noticed that feeling kind actually feels pretty good. It feels a lot better than feeling ticked off, right? Or resentful. Kindness can really connect us with others. Um... I found this to be true in my own life, whether it is in the grocery store or on the airplane or in a foreign country, that just the attitude of kindness transcends language, transcends cultures. People get it. It's so fundamental. So I'm going to give you another story. It's a story night. This is from a wonderful poet and lovely human being named Naomi Shihab Nye. And this is a story called Wandering Around an Albuquerque Airport. Okay? (laughs) She's Palestinian-American, which is important for this story. After learning my flight was delayed for four hours, I heard the announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of Gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well... One pauses these days. Gate A4, 4A, was my own gate, so I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight attendant person. Talk to her. What is her problem? We told her the flight was delayed, and she did this. I put my arm around her and spoke to her haltingly. The moment she heard any words she knew, and by the way, that was not Arabic, folks, (laughs) however poorly used, she stopped crying. 
She thought our flight had been canceled entirely and she needed to be in El Paso for some major medical treatment the very next day. Following day, I said, no, we're fine. You'll get there. You're just late. Who's picking you up? I'll call him and tell him. So we got on my cell phone and called her son and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother until we got on the plane and would ride next to her. Southwest Airlines. She talked to him, and then we called her other sons just for the fun of it. Then we called my dad, and he spoke to her for a while in Arabic and found out that, of course, they had 10 shared friends. Then I thought for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took about two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling about her life, answering questions. She had pulled a sack of homemade marmul cookies, little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts out of her bag and was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the traveler from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, We were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. Then the airline broke out pre-beverages from the huge coolers, non-alcoholic, and two little girls from our flight, one African-American and one Mexican-American, ran around serving us all apple juice and lemonade, and they were covered with the powdered sugar too. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some kind of medicinal thing, with green furry leaves. Such an old country traveling tradition. Always carry a plant. Always stay rooted somewhere. And I looked around the gate of late and weary ones and thought, this is the world I want to live in the shared world. Not a single person in this gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, had seemed apprehensive about any other person there. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all those other women, too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. So that is one small story of how kindness can transform a stranger. In this case, a whole bunch of strangers. So one of the questions that story brings up for me is what blocks us from this kind of kind and loving connection with the others we encounter in our lives? What blocks us from discerning our commonality? Any ideas? Um, Fear. Fear? Great. Anybody else? Stress. Stress. Good. Um, Personal experience, not projecting out into your personal experience, projecting out to others. 
So a concern that you might be projecting? Yeah, like your own experience, um, like kind of sets a boundary for yourself. So because you know that pain or um, that you've experienced through, you know, your during, in your past. So how does that block you from connecting? Because you're protecting yourself. Ah, you you're protecting to. yourself from feeling mm -hmm. that way again. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Any other notions? I think doing that can seem innocent a lot of the times. I'm sorry, say that again? Closer to your mouth. Sorry. No. Um, showing loving kindness to everyone or to strangers can sometimes be seen as innocent. To innocent, yeah. yeah. So you might get taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thinking I don't have enough compassion to give. Aha, uh -huh, yes. If I give it, I won't have any left. Or they're going to want need too much. Aha. Uh -huh. Fear of being overly pulled in or involved. Yeah. So that's a pretty good list. Um, and of course, it isn't always appropriate to get involved at the level that Naomi got involved with this lovely grandmotherly woman, right? We might not be able to in given situations. But there's nothing blocking us from resonating and feeling it. Or I should say, the same things might block us from resonating and feeling it. I think there's another one that has blocked for me in the past, which is judgment. I'm judging someone, it's awfully hard to feel kindness or compassion towards them. Something more along the balance of contraction. A should aimed outwards somehow. Which is also not a very good feeling in your body. So this, um, I'm bringing this up around mindfulness, or mindfulness and loving kindness combined towards neutral people because this is an excellent fertile territory to explore when kindness happens and when it fades away and when these other mind states arise and when they fade away and to just kind of play. We're all human. I'm not a saint. I don't expect any of you to be. So to hold it all in mindfulness and just see can the loving kindness that you practice be a contrast field for the other stuff that comes up? And can we allow the loving kindness to be part of our attitude towards whatever is coming up in our own minds? Not that we have to be kind towards hatred, but that we be kind towards whatever the wounding is that caused the hatred, to allow the experience to be there without kicking ourselves, judging ourselves. I'm just using hatred as an example because it's the far enemy. Something that's really helpful for me in this practice is to listen for the attitudes that contract me rather than to them. It's kind of like listening to the tone of your internal narrator instead of what your internal narrator is telling you is true. It's like, oh, is that a kind tone or a snarky tone? Is that a wise tone or a fearful tone? 
the tone can tell us a whole lot about what's actually happening deep inside here. It's also helpful to kind of um, notice under what circumstances you check out or dissociate from others. A lot of times you might find you dissociate from yourself for similar reasons. It has rarely failed for me that the things I find most irritating others are things I haven't yet reconciled in myself. It's not always true, but it's true a lot of the time. So loving kindness is contrast. Um, For me, sometimes I think of this in terms of taste as well. Generosity tastes better than jealousy or ill will. So one of the benefits of practicing loving kindness for people like the neutral or the difficult folks is that it increases the field of joy and loveliness in my life at the times that I'm doing that. I've talked before about how this practice helps me worry less and laugh more. Well, it's really great when you get a sympathetic hit of joy off of someone else getting something or doing something that is good for them. And it's totally free. So that is mudita in the Buddhist schema. But mudita and metta are really, really close. Noticing the positive qualities of someone is so close to experiencing joy for them. Let that come into your practice too, if it wants to. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says that Cultivating joy for others' success and others' well-being improves our odds of happiness by about 10,000 to 1. Because it's no longer just about us. It's about everybody you see. So I'm going to ask you to break into either pairs or trios, dyads or triads, and talk about, consider a time that you received kindness from a stranger or offered it to a stranger? And how did that shift the way either you or others perceived the situation or the person? So I'm going to time it, and I'm going to ring at the beginning, midway through, and at the end. If you're in a group of three, I ask you to just kind of try to manage your own time. I'll give you 10 minutes total. So be a little bit organic with it. It's okay to cross-talk, but try to give each person space to talk, okay? So please, talk among yourselves.
Welcome back, everybody. Um, So with the kindness of strangers in mind, I'm going to move us right into our next meditation on the neutral person. So just uh, settle down and let the bubbles fizz from the conversation you were just in enliven you. Enjoy it. If it wasn't pleasant for you, let it go. But just kind of be there with it, whatever it was. So then, allow your awareness to expand through your whole body, from your face to your feet, hips, groin, all of it. Let your body be soft, and let your mind be soft. Gently collecting your attention again around the center of your chest, your entire heart center. And notice and acknowledge whatever sensations or feelings are there right now. If it's helpful, you can place your hand on your heart Some people even like to give themselves a little hug. See if you can feel your breath and your heart together. As if you could breathe directly into the heart and out again into the world. each in-breath, receiving, each out-breath, an offer of goodwill. Allow an intention for loving-kindness to drop from your conscious mind into the deepest place of your heart center, your own groundwater, like an ancient well. And let that intention ripple through your whole being. Every organ, every muscle, every cell of your body saturated with breath and intention. And 
even out through your skin into the corners of the heart and mind, offering outward, receiving inward. Bringing to mind for just a brief moment, again, a person or being that makes your heart smile. And notice how that feels right now. Clarifying your intention with words, your own words, or these. Be happy. Be healthy. Safe. At ease. With joy. Allowing a rhythm to build through your body. Any feelings of warmth or kindness to grow. It's okay to smile too. Then gently letting go of this person. And bringing to mind someone who's on the edges of your life. Someone you don't really know well. Maybe a neighbor, a cashier at the local store, a coworker that you see on the elevator but not anywhere else. Someone you don't have any strong impression of. It can be helpful to briefly imagine them doing what they're doing when you see them. Or the brief interaction, the smile, the hello, the whatever. And take a moment to reflect. This person, too, has hopes and fears. This person, too, wants to be happy, just like the one who is dear to you wants to be happy. See what it feels like to offer the same kindness and well wishes you offer someone that you respect or care about. Using phrases or words that work for you. Allowing the breath to bear your wishes outward if that is helpful.
Letting go of the image of that person. Breathe in all the well wishes in this room. May I be happy. Breathing them out to all of the good people in this room. May you be happy. Receiving, offering to the many lives, many hearts in this room and to yourself. and letting go of any images or ideas or phrases. Just soften into this moment. So that is one approach of many to approach loving-kindness for the neutral person. I want to spend a few moments now talking about loving-kindness for those we find difficult, including ourselves, actually. And this is a topic we'll pick up on again next week a little bit more when dealing with loving-kindness for all beings, because All beings include some difficult beings, let's face it. (laughs) But for now, I want to tell a story that some of you may have heard before. Uh, Who here has heard of Mahagosananda? Anybody? He was considered by many to be the Cambodian Gandhi. It's one of the ways he's known. He's dead now. But... He's a Theravada monk who was raised in Cambodia but had the good fortune of happening to be in Thailand on intensive retreat when the Khmer Rouge took over the Pol Pot regime. And Mahagosananda 
meditated intensively in Thailand while his country was decimated. He lost nearly all of his friends and family. So he stayed in Thailand and deeply practiced for many years. And when the Pol Pot regime fell, he was one of the only Cambodian Buddhist monks left alive in the world. He went back at personal risk to the border and wandered in the refugee camps there where they circulated these little tracks on paper, Xeroxed or something, I'm not sure what, letting people know that he was coming and with a certain two phrases from the Dhammapada. And everywhere he went, the Cambodians revered Buddhist monks. It's a Buddhist country. They would flock to him and they would makeshift little pavilions or groups and they would chant this phrase from the Dhammapada. And it said, Hatred never ceases by hatred but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and natural law. The people chanting this, many of them had lost almost everything. Friends, family, homes, limbs, you name it. This was no small thing they did. But what it did is it began to set up a climate of forgiveness and acceptance and healing and a culture among people who had been horribly wounded, deeply wounded, and began a dialogue within those folks. We don't need, fortunately, most of us, to start with a blood enemy to practice loving-kindness for a difficult person. In fact, it's wise, as I mentioned earlier, to start with someone much easier. The whole gym metaphor, right? If we look deep in our hearts, it's pretty easy to find subtler shades of ill will than outright hatred or hurt or decimation. I've mentioned a few already, but irritation envy, frustration, blame, judgment. You can pick your own. Resentment was a big one for me, actually, to work with. That was one of my top three, for sure. In my own experience, as I mentioned earlier with strangers, often difficult people implicate parts of ourselves that we've exiled or that we can't see, we won't see. So one trick in working with the difficult person in practice is to notice how much of your own self-identity comes up. And in the moments that you're feeling softer, consider how a difficult person might teach you about yourself. What can they show about our blind spots that we can't see? They're mirroring something sometimes. Even if it's 90% BS, there might be 10% or 1% nugget of truth, possibly. Or they might just be really difficult. That's also true. 
So regardless of that other person's behavior, the question for me is when is being kind beneficial for us? When is it helpful? You might remember the story of the yaka from last week, the demon that got bigger with insults and that shrank with respect. Working with a difficult person is an invitation to stop feeding the demon and to start treating it with respect, whatever it is, whether it's a difficult part of the self or a difficult human being of which there are plenty in the world. Sometimes, um, I feel it's important to say this, it's most appropriate to wish some people well from a distance, okay? If you happen to have in your life cases where harm has truly been done or might be done to you, the priority is to keep yourself safe. This is a private practice. Unlike the lovely airport story, you don't need to go around telling the person how much you're growing to like them necessarily. The practice is for us. Metta can be very private and it's done for one's own emotional and spiritual development, not necessarily for the sake of the other. So if forgiveness practice feels more appropriate, I suggest you use the phrases I gave in the handout. You're welcome to contact me with questions. The forgiveness practice is powerful in its own right. Lily Tomlin has a quote that I really like. You've probably heard it. Forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. Right? So, um, those are a few words. I have one more little quote to read. This is from Mahagosananda about the situation. Can I give the story? I do not question that loving one's oppressors, Cambodians loving the Khmer Rouge, may be the most difficult attitude to achieve. But it is a law of the universe that retaliation, hatred, and vengeance only continue the cycle and never stop it. Reconciliation does not mean that we consider, surrender our rights or conditions, but rather that we use love in our negotiations and communications. It means that we see ourselves in the opponent, for what is the opponent but a being in ignorance? And we ourselves are also ignorant of many things. Therefore, only loving kindness and right mindfulness can free us. He's inviting us to let go of what doesn't serve us and to be skillful in dealing with people in a safe, a little bit street smart way. The ancient suttas, the Buddhist scriptures, liken anger and ill will directed towards someone else to throwing a hot coal at them. But what do you have to do to throw a hot coal? You have to pick it up and burn yourself first. So this is a chance to set down any hot coals, even if they're, you know, one millimeter big, that you have in your own heart. 
So we're going to do a very brief introduction to this practice. Just close your eyes wherever you are comfortable. You don't have to get up if you're lying down. If you snore, we'll forgive you. (laughs) And again, closing the eyes and settling your attention in the body and in the heart. Gently acknowledge whatever is happening. No rights and wrongs, nothing left out. And allow an intention for loving kindness to move out with the out breath. And with every in-breath, take special care to wish yourself well. May I be happy. We're just happy. First, let the out-breath, the wish for benevolence, just spread out into this room. Breathing in love and kindness. Breathing out good wishes. And then bring to mind someone in your life with whom you've experienced minor difficulty. Perhaps a moderately irritating coworker, the neighbor or colleague who's a little annoying. Imagine them in a moment when they might be softer, quieter than you usually experience them. Even a moment when they're doing something kind or unexpectedly good. Reflect that this person, too, has hopes and fears. This person has other people who depend on them. They want to be happy, free from suffering and fear, just like you. Perhaps their unskillful behavior may well be the unfortunate, even tragic 
consequence of unmet needs, sorrows, or past difficulties leading them to act out in ways that distance them from others. See how it feels to offer them the same kindness and goodwill you would offer to a loved one or to yourself. Here are some possibilities of phrases or use your own. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you know happiness and its causes, such as peace and wisdom. May you be well. May you be free of suffering. Or use whatever words work for you. Remembering to wish yourself well on the in-breath. Letting go now of the image of this person. Returning your attention to your own heart, your own body. See if you can gently acknowledge and hold whatever feelings are there in kindness. Holding yourself the way a loved person might hold you and soften into that. May I be happy, healthy, well, at ease.
gently reflect as we close this meditation. We resonate with one another's sorrows and difficulties and joy because we are interconnected by the wish of metta. All people, all beings want to be happy, avoid suffering, and be at ease. By opening our hearts to more receptivity and kindness, compassion, appreciation, we transform ourselves and the lives we touch. Take a moment to appreciate the generosity of cultivating an open heart. So those of you who have the Reflections on Benevolence chant with you, there are also some at the back of the stage. Try chanting it together tonight. Um, It's very short. Could you hold the mic out towards people? You're welcome to stay where you are, but just so they don't just get me. Okay, and can someone turn that mic on and kind of point it? one up on the stage, just kind of point it towards the group. Thank you. And if you have one and your neighbor doesn't, maybe you guys can share. So I'm doing it from memory. If I mess up, ignore me and pay attention to the words. <laughs> May I abide in well-being. May I abide in well-being. In freedom from affliction. In freedom from hostility. In freedom from hostility. In freedom from ill will. In freedom from ill will. In freedom from anxiety. And may I maintain well-being in myself. And may I maintain 
May all beings abide in well-being. Together now, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, in freedom from anxiety, and may they maintain well-being in themselves. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate your coming. Please look to the handout for suggestions on playing with these practices. And if you have questions, you're welcome to ask me. And next time consider bringing a song idea to add to a group playlist on loving kindness. I meant to do that this week and I forgot. So if you have ideas, love to hear them. Good night. Thanks.